Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible with you, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And in continuation of our study here, we see something beautiful where we see not a dismissal of knowledge, but to understand that knowledge is good, but it has its limitations. Knowledge is beautiful, but it has its limitations. Always remember that. Let's turn really quick. I mean, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but a little precursory study is going to be in, uh, turn with me really quick to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, a pastor to a pastor. In saying that, it's uh, Pastor Paul to young Pastor Timothy. And we see here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says, Be diligent. Be diligent. Be diligent, which means to study. Study. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not who does not need to be ashamed you see paul's exhortation here a pastor to a pastor pastor paul to young pastor timothy in this exhortation is to understand that you know when he says a worker who does not need to be ashamed carnal people carnal people you know not paul not timothy but carnal people they will try to make you feel shame you must understand that carnal people will try, they'll make attempts to make you feel shame, but understand and remember and know that they're carnal. They are carnal people. And in some cases, they're, car- I mean, they're carnal people, but in some cases, you know, in all cases, they have a choice to be, they have a choice to make. You have to make a distinction, just like Jude chapter 1, verse 22 says, for us to make a distinction. It's part of being wise as a fisherman. But Paul's exhortation to young Pastor Timothy, which, you know, in his exhortation, it's it's so, he is so dead and full of the Holy Spirit that his counsel, pastor to pastor, to a younger pastor, is captured in the canon of scripture, which we refer to as the bread of life because the word became flesh. Jesus is the word. That's how close Paul's intimacy is with Jesus Christ or was with Jesus Christ. That 2,000 some years later, give or take a couple years, we're still being exhorted, still being uh, comforted with these words. But Paul says, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth or rightly dissecting and expounding upon the word of truth. So, you know, we, we look at these studies in the Corinthian letters, 1 Corinthians second or 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 2, and we see it's, you know, there's these uh, uh, limitations of knowledge, how, yes, knowledge is a beautiful thing, but then understand that the, in the early chapters of the Corinthian letters, these are for babies. They're like milk drinkers. They're not on meat yet. They're milk drinkers. So knowledge has its place. It's not like, you know, in academically speaking, say you're, you're not going to take like a, a high school level math and teach it to a, a first grader. It's not to say that high school level math doesn't have its place. It surely has its place, but not for the first grader. 
because that first grader needs to go to, you know, second grade, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and then on into, you know, maturity to get to that point to where they're able to comprehend deeper things. So for the church in Corinth, it's not to say like deep spiritual things aren't good. It's not to say that knowledge isn't good, but for the church in Corinth, they're milk drinkers. Yes, knowledge is good, but deep spiritual things is to say, yes, this is for you, but you need to go, you need to matriculate to understand these things. You need to go from, you know, kindergarten to first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth. And that's when we, you know, you look at the study last week, how you, the theology of the guy who was formerly blind, I, I, I take that, that theology in a heartbeat over that of the religious establishment. They were trying to say that Jesus was a sinner. You see that, oh, we're hardcore, we follow Moses. The blind guy was like, look, guys, I, you know, all I know is that I was blind, but now I see. And then the Lord, you know, he believed in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Messiah. Something that the religious establishment, they rejected. So it's to understand that, you know, sometimes people, they, they come to Christ and then they think, oh, I got to be called. I have to have like, you know, uh, college understand. I need to get my uh, degree in theology to understand scripture. No, it's not needed. Not required. Not required at all. I don't, not, not that, you know, there are people who enter into certain ministries. They go to seminary. They go to, you know, if the Lord puts that on our heart, that's one thing. But, you know, you look at uh, uh, theology schools now, you look at uh, 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 seminaries now, which I call cemeteries, because what do they teach? Do they teach sound doctrine? The large majority of what I see coming out of uh, uh, academia, religious academia, Christian academia, I should say, seminaries, what I call cemeteries, I don't call cemeteries, for, you know, uh, uh, for nothing. But I don't see sound doctrine. I do not see sound doctrine. You see the ecumenical hold that, you know, the, the Antichrist spirit has on certain organizations, certain schools, certain divinity schools, what they call divinity schools, certain seminaries. And this whole, remember, this Antichrist spirit, which is at work today, it's been at work, you know, for a long time. But it's going to culminate to very sinister things that the Bible teaches us about and warns us about. You know, that it's going to culminate ultimately with the Antichrist. But remember, the Antichrist has, you know, his right-hand man, so to speak, the beast from the earth, the false prophet. And then we read about a mother of harlots, which means what? This mother of harlot has babies. Harlotry, apostasy. Just like, you know, we read the Old Testament and, you know, how, how God's promises to Israel, how beautiful they are. And then Israel, they, they align themselves in these promises. Not all the time, but sometimes you read passages like, wow, this is so beautiful. You know, like Joshua, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And the people are like, okay, Joshua, we're, we're on board. We're going to do that too. And then you turn the page, you get the judges and it's like, wow, what happened, guys? Wow, what happened, Israel? But then you look at our own lives, my own life, your own life. We could say the same to us too. Wow, what happened? What happened? And that's the beauty of maturity, growing in Christ, having under, gaining this knowledge, this understanding. And then you get to the later passages, the minor prophets, and the Lord tells the prophets, hey, tell them they are harlots. They have played the harlot. You see? 
What does that say for us when we read Revelation about the mother of harlots? You see, sound doctrine. Very, very important. Knowledge indeed has a place. But to understand that knowledge has limitations. So we see what Paul's exhortation is to Timothy here to be diligent or to study, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You hear me say that, you know, knowledge, there's limitations to knowledge. And, you know, I say that because the Bible says it. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, the love chapter in chapter 13, but verse 8 says, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, you see, that's a big deal. Because there's a lot of brainiacs, you know, they, they like to think, oh, yeah, you know, I have all this knowledge. I have all this knowledge. I've had, you know, major discussions with, uh, and this isn't to boast, let my boast be in Christ, but I've had major discussions with PhDs in theology. And it's revealed that their knowledge base does not align with scripture. It aligns with what they were taught in seminary. It aligns with their divinity school. But you know what? I could care less about that. I want to look at the Bible. Hey, PhD guy. You know, what does the Bible say? You say this, but what does the Bible say? Let's look at the Bible. Long, long, long conversations. And I don't say that to boast, but I say that to exemplify what the Word of God teaches us. Knowledge will cease. You see, we know in part, verse 9, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. You see, no more knowledge, no more prophecy, no more tongues. It's all going to cease when that which is perfect has come, when that which is complete has come. Jesus Christ, when we're in our glorified bodies, you see, and we're one with him. We're one with him, spiritually speaking. By faith, we take in these truths and we live by these truths and we abide in Christ and he in us. All this is by faith. But one day, one day, you will have your glorified body. You see? And how beautiful it is to abide in Christ today. And be a forward-looking people, looking forward to that blessed hope that we're promised in the Word of God. So as much as we look at knowledge, you know, knowledge has its place. It is beautiful, but understand that it is partial. It will come to its end. Now, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. And in Acts 17... We see something here in verse 11, Acts 17, verse 11, and speaking about the Bereans, those who lived in a, the town of Berea. And verse 11 of 17 of Acts says, Acts 17 says, these were about the Bereans. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness, with all readiness, 
which is all willingness, all cheerful readiness, and also eagerness. That's how they receive the word eagerness, willingness. But it doesn't end there. And searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. You see, Paul would say something and they would hear hear Paul's message, message, what he had to say. And then they would open up their Bibles and look through the scripture. And we're so spoiled now because we have the Bible, you know, a Bible online, the Bible app. We have, you know, the full council Genesis to Revelation. But for these guys in Berea, that was hard. I mean, you talk to like kids nowadays. Kids are so spoiled. They have to write a book report. They just, they can stay home. They don't have to do anything. They can stay home, you know, search online, do all these online searches, all these things. And, you know, they can just, they can do it from their phone. And kids are so spoiled now. But back in the day, there was this little building, in some cases, big building, where depending on where you lived, it's called a library, you know, and you go to the library, you know, you talk to the librarian, you know, the librarian, you know, if you didn't know how to search through the little, the little cards or whatever, and, you know, you'd go to the librarian and say, you know, I'm looking for, you know, uh, this subject, you know, or a topic on this particular guy or this particular gal. I'm doing a report on her, doing a report on him. The librarian, you know, this is like hardcore old school. And the librarian would say, okay, you know, they don't even have computers, you know. They'd thumb through all the paper, the little, uh, the little cards, you know. And you, you know, you'd pull out the little slot, and you'd be like, okay, you know, uh, you know, uh, F seventeen, you know, it'd be in the section H thirty two. Then you had to walk down, walk. I mean, physically, physically walk, you know, to the to the side wherever it is the book is. And then you get all these big rows of books. That's old school. And you know, nowadays kids are so spoiled because you just you know Google. You just go online, you know, bada bing, bada boom, and boom, it's right there. And, you know, now they have, you know, what they call slow internet. That's even fast. You know, and so the kids are spoiled now. They got to read a book. Boom, they can just download it instantly. Information right at our fingertips. But back in the day, it was more difficult. You had to go to a library. And if that library didn't have it, they would contact another library. And then you have to wait for that, 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 that other library to mail it to you. And then you'd have that book. You know, and, you know, I'm kind of old school. When technology was like the, the like kind of growing, I, I, I logged in the, the bulletin boards, old school, pre-internet, you know, pre, you know, modern internet, what we have pre-dial-up, you know, or it, it was like, you know, the, uh, uh, the bulletin boards. And that's how I did all my library research back in the day. And even before that, you know, it was like old school. You had to like walk through all these things. And I say this. Because these people in Berea, they weren't spoiled as we are now. We have Genesis to Revelation right at our fingertips. But these guys, they would go into synagogue. They would go into their area, you know, and they would look at the scrolls. And everything was organized, certain scrolls, okay, you know. And then they would roll out these big, They and they were heavy. They were big, you know, heavy scrolls. And they would place them on the little countertop or the little platform that they have. And they would roll it out. And they would say, okay, Paul said this. So let's see if what he says is accurate with these scrolls. And they would go and they would search the scriptures. Today we're so spoiled. We are so spoiled today because we have everything at our fingertips. But these guys in Berea, there was actual motion involved. Actually, like getting up, going to synagogue, going and grabbing the Old Testament scrolls. Oh, Paul said this about Isaiah. Let's open, let's look at this scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Let's look at this scroll of the, you know, the Torah. 
Let's look at this scroll that says this. Paul said this. Okay, so let's let's open this up. They would look, you know, and you know maybe they didn't know exactly where it was. So one guy would have scroll number one, another guy would have scroll number two, another guy scroll number three. They would roll it out and they would start searching. Oh, hey guys, look, I found this. Hey guys, look, I found this. Everyone would come over, gather. Oh, this is what Paul was talking about. Wow. Oh, whoa. And then they would read, whoa, Paul was right. Oh my goodness, Paul was right. Oh, Paul also said this. And they would read, oh, let's look at this other scroll. This is what the Torah says. It's, oh, oh my goodness, Paul was right. You see, they would search the scriptures. And it was hardcore. I mean, we, we, we're so spoiled, we even have this thing called electricity. You see, it's, you know, flip a switch. You get, it's dark, you know, you flip a switch. That's all you got to do, flip a switch. We're so, we're so spoiled. Flip a switch, we got light. It can be three in the morning, and you can be reading your Bible. You see, two in the morning, midnight. Reading your Bible. Back then, mm-mm. Nighttime, oh, you have to have, you know, the special light, you know, oil for the lamp. You need to have your light, and you can read. You can, you know, all. so spoiled we are today. So when we read this about these, I mean, it's just one little verse here in 1711 in the book of Acts. Yes, they received the word with all readiness, which is beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, they were, they were, this cheerfulness, this readiness, this eagerness to hear, what does Paul have to say? What does Paul have to say? What does Paul have to say? They would hear it. Oh, write this down. You know, write this down. Or, you know, they remember this. Hey, you, you remember this? Me, I'll remember this section. You, you remember this section? You remember this? And remember it. Because tomorrow, we're going to study the scriptures. Not just study the scriptures. We're going to search the scriptures. You know, I'll look at one scroll. You look at another scroll. You look at another scroll. And let's see if what Paul says is right. You see? And they would search the scriptures. Imagine one guy, hey guys, I found it. And you know, they'd all gather. Oh, whoa, this is what Paul was talking about. And then they would read further. I mean, it's not just to confirm what Paul was talking about, but then to, to see, wow, the prophet Isaiah said this. Wow, let's read on. What did the prophet Isaiah say? And then boom, the connection with the Lord. You see, they start to fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the word of God and with the Lord himself in their own relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, to understand that this vessel named Paul, a beautiful, beautiful vessel, but the source of what he has is not him. It's Jesus Christ. That's why you got to be very careful with pastors and teachers and people who like the titles. Oh, I'm this just like, you know, uh, uh, in our study on Wednesday, Aaron and uh, 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 Miriam, you know, oh, does the Lord speak through Moses only? And, I, you know, not to get, you know, you have to be very careful with people who do the pole positioning, you know, for, for power. If you see the, you know, corporate mindset come into the church because the corporate mindset, speaking business-wise, the corporate mindset should not be in the church because the church is the Lord's business. This, you know, he, he calls the shots. He's the shot caller. No pole positioning because at, at the helm, number one is Jesus Christ, the head pastor of every church. That's how it should be. 
But where you see pastors, you know, and elders, they pop their collar and say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a prophet, but you call me apostle. You know, you call me father. You call me this. What? What is that? You see? So knowledge, very, very beautiful. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is love. You know, study to show yourself approved, just as was written to Pastor, Tim uh, Pastor Timothy. You see? Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy. Study to show yourself approved. Knowledge does have its place. And these deep things of spiritual maturity, it's not for the church in Corinth at this particular juncture. It's not to say it's not for them, period. But it's not for them in their present state. Do you know why? They're babies. They're milk drinkers. That's why, you know, from time to time you'll hear me say, I don't think Satan minds milk drinkers, Christians who are milk drinkers. I don't, personally, this is just my opinion. I don't think Satan minds the milk drinkers. Because what threat is a milk drinker? I mean, I don't want to uh, paint an ugly picture here. But what if I told you, hey, you know, you got to fight tomorrow at 4 p.m. You know, you got to step in the ring and, you know, you got a, a big fight tomorrow, you know, and you're like, oh, whoa, you know, OK, so, OK, I'll be there four o'clock. You know, this is going to happen. I'm not to get violent either. And then you step into the ring and you're like, OK, who's my opponent? Is it a big guy? I hope it's a little guy. I hope I can take a man, you know, like a little bit out of shape. So I don't I don't know if I still got it in the tank, you know. And then all of a sudden you see this, you know, this little, little pipsqueak, you know, little, little guy. I mean, maybe I say little guy, but what if he's like a two-year-old or a little three-year-old or a one-year-old? I don't want to get violent in painting this picture, but it's almost laughable. What threat is that person? Because they're little, you know, one-year-old milk drinker, you know, maybe he's five months old milk drinker. What threat is that? It's absolutely no threat. I mean, there's a, you know, they might be able to get some licks in. But I meant like, what is the threat? That's why you hear me say from time to time, not all the time. But I don't think Satan minds the milk drinkers. Do you know why? So we, we understand that the church in Corinth at this particular juncture, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, they're milk drinkers. Look at what's happening inside the church, which we're going to see. We're going to see things that are happening inside the church, which are so grotesque. And that's why I say I don't think Satan minds. Because as is written, a little leaven leavens the bunch. That's what was happening in the church in Corinth. Leaven. And it was leavening the bunch. Paul caught wind of what was happening in the church by those in the household of Chloe. Praise the Lord that we have this example of the household of Chloe. How beautiful Chloe is. And those in her home, a little home fellowship. And they wrote to Paul, hey, Paul, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. Paul says, okay, you guys, this isn't good. He writes to the churches. You hear me say too, where were the pastors? Why were the pastors in, in, in a state of uh, 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 them themselves were in a state of arrested development? Because you look at the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 2, and then you get into uh, Titus, uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. You know what you see? 
You see warnings, admonitions to pastors, to elders, to church leadership, to those who are overseers in the church. And then you come back to the church in Corinth and you're like, whoa, what, what's happening, guys? What's happening, pastors? What's happening, elders? First Timothy says this. Second Timothy says this. Titus says this. What's happening, pastors? What's happening, elders? But you know what? The same thing can be said today. Hey, pastors, hey, elders, First Timothy says this, Second Timothy says this, Titus says this. What's happening, pastors? What's happening, elders? Why is this happening in the church? Maybe you find some, uh, you, you, you read about the household of Chloe, and maybe that resonates with you. Because the Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit teaches us. And then you look at the church and you're like, whoa, something's wrong here. Because there's no alignment. You see, that's, it's very important to be a Berean. Very important. And search the scriptures. You look at, you watch TBN. You know, I call tricking believers nightly. Be a Berean. You know, listen to what the so-called pastor has to say. Listen to what he has to say. Listen to what she has to say, the so-called pastor. What you see on Tricking Believers Nightly, TBN. And then, you know, you listen. And then when they're done, you turn it off. You open up your Bible and you search the scriptures. And you know what you're going to find? Sometimes you might find something that's right, biblically right. You might say, you know, there are, you know, like once a week. You know, I see certain programs, it's like, okay, you know, that, that that's not doctrinally inaccurate. But the majority of programs on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, is highly, highly unbiblical, highly, highly inaccurate, highly. I mean, it, this was a while ago, too. So when I say, like, you know, there's some good stuff on there, that was a while, you know, lately. You know, maybe I should do it lately. I know that they have the... Uh, the Northern California organization on there. You know, the grave soaking organization on there. The Holy Spirit glitter on there. You know, blasphemy. Blasphemy. How do I know that? Why do you know if I say that in Christian circles? Oh, I watch this program and I say it's blasphemous. That organization, that pastor, blasphemous. <gasps> How dare you say that? How can you say that? Well, I search the scripture. That's how, that's how. Do you not search the scripture? <gasps> Don't judge me lest you be judged. What are you talking about? Sir, what are you talking about? Do you not search the scriptures? It's almost like a shock. It's almost like a shock. You know, one of my great shocks in this world, you know, in my life, one of my great shocks is when I became an adult, you know, physically, not spiritually, but when I became an adult and I realized that there is a lot of stupidity in the adult world, you know, and this is like a little, uh, you know, if you're a young person, if you're like a 10 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, and you were taught to respect your elders, which is a good thing. It's not bad. Respect your elders. That's good. Respect your elders. But once you enter into independence, you're going to realize something. And it might be shocking to you as it was shocking to me. But there's a lot of stupid people who are adults. A lot. 
more so than when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I understood, okay, I'm a kid. You know, I'm supposed to make these mistakes. Okay, he's a kid. He's supposed to make these mistakes. You know, she's a kid. She's supposed to make these mistakes. You know, my friends. But then when you get into adult, I mean, that's when I'm eight years old, nine years old, ten years old. Okay, yeah, you know, he's a kid. You know, we're kids. What do you expect? But then, you know, I became an adult and it's like, what in the world? There's a bunch of stupid adults. And I don't say that to shame the adults. And some, some adults' are, behaviors are shameful. But then inside the church, Christians, Christians, you know, if I were to go into a Christian circle, whatever, and, you know, somebody say, oh, you know, I watched TBN, Tricking Believers. No, they wouldn't say, hey, I watched TBN last night, and I was just so blessed. You know, I listened to this pastor speak, and, oh, it was so great. It just blessed my socks off. And then if I were to say, hey, did you know that that pastor teaches great, so-called pastor teaches grave soaking? So, what do you mean, so-called pastor? He's a pastor. Okay, but. Okay, you call him that? I don't refer to him as that. But did you know that he teaches grave soaking? <gasps> what? How dare you? How dare you? And all of a sudden, I'm the bad guy. But you know what? When you search the scriptures, you understand, wait a second, you know, grave soaking is unbiblical. You see? Having glitter come down from the rafters and calling that the Holy Spirit, that's unbiblical. This moving of the Holy Spirit, you're making a mockery of the Lord. You see? I mean, he's speaking about what, what I see coming out of certain organizations, so-called Christian organizations. But because of immaturity, because the church has a large majority of milk drinkers, the church Christians are unable to discern Deep spiritual things, you know, and it's dangerous. It is highly, highly, highly dangerous in these last days. Why? Apostasy. It's, it's prophesied that apostasy will come, if not already here. It is prophesied. It is prophesied that, you know, the virgins, 10 virgins, 50% of virgins are foolish. And what does the Lord say? My people perish for lack of knowledge. You see? So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Be a Berean. You must be a Berean. With everybody, you know, we're, we're going to finish with this study. And I say, that's why, you know, I say, hey, turn here, turn here, turn here. Because sometimes, you know, I've had conversations with people. They say, I don't like how you, you know, can you just read the text and don't talk for so long? Can you just read this and maybe 20 minutes? Can we be done in like 20 minutes? You know, and don't go here. Don't open here. Don't open here. Don't. It's like, wait, we're, we're, we're searching the scriptures corporately as a church body. It's for your protection. It's so that you can fall in love with the Lord. In your own relationship with him. We search the scriptures. We do it together corporately as a church body. But for a people that does not want to do that. For a people that has disregard for being a Berean and searching the scriptures. It's very, very dangerous. Especially even more so in these last days. You see? 
Very, very dangerous. Why? Because so-called pastors, so-called elders, they get away with murder. They get away with murder. They teach and espouse these doctrines. And they get away with it. Why? Because of the milk drinkers in the pews. That's why. Because of the milk drinkers who are co-pastors. Because of the milk drinkers who are elders. That's why. That's why. And that's also how shepherds can transition and transform into wolves. If you remember our study in Acts chapter 20. They transition into wolves. You see? No love of the sheep. The sheep become prey. See? P-R-E-Y. The sheep become prey of wolves. Very important. You must be a Berean and search the scriptures. And you know what I love about searching the scriptures? About the Bereans? They didn't automatically know. They didn't have all this head knowledge. They didn't have all this knowledge of, you know, the entirety of the, of the scrolls. No. Paul would say something. And then they would search the scriptures. Let that be a great encouragement if you're like, if you're kind of bummed out that man, you know, I don't, I don't know the scriptures like this guy does. I don't know the scriptures like this lady does. I don't know the scriptures like this. I don't know the scriptures like that. Well, search the scriptures. You don't have to know the scriptures in entirety right now. It, it'd be the same as like a, a first grader or a third grader or a fifth grader being like, man, you know, I, I can't, I can't perform brain surgery. Oh man, I'm kind of bummed out. I can't, I can't, you know, I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm not an astrophysicist. You know, I don't understand the deep things of dark matter. You know, that's kind of like an oxymoron too, because what do the astrophysicists know about it? But understand that a first grader can look forward to geometry. A first grader can look forward to chemistry a first grader can look forward to calculus you know statistics can look forward to you know english 300 classes a first grader can look forward to these things so if you're in a camp that's kind of like bummed out that you know oh man i don't know the bible like, like this i don't know well be patient be patient my friend search the scriptures keep searching the scriptures and you know what the Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Very important to understand that, yes, there is in this importance of knowledge, but it has its, it has its place and it's only partial. It's only in part. It will come to nothing. It will come to an end, just as we read in 1 Corinthians 13. You see? And deep spiritual things, Paul can't. At this particular juncture for the church in Corinth, they cannot receive deep spiritual things. It's like taking calculus and try. I mean, if say you're a teacher, a professor at university, and you teach, you know, a high level calculus, and you teach calculus, and then all of a sudden you go to first graders and you try to teach calculus. It's it's pointless. It's pointless. You're gonna have a bunch of kids that want to, you know, finger paint. It's pointless. That's what's happening to the church in Corinth. I mean, you say, oh, I can't believe you said that. That's so offensive. You're calling me a baby. No. Well, if you're a baby, you have to be honest with yourself. If you're young in Christ, a babe in Christ, 
It's beautiful. It's perfectly okay. But you have to be honest with yourself. Where are you in your walk with the Lord? You see, you have to be honest. Now, if you're a baby because you became a believer last week, praise be to the Lord. It's beautiful. If you're a baby Christian and you've been a believer for 30 years, you know, it's not good. It's not good. Because in the church in Corinth, between Acts 18 and you know this three-year gap between when the church was birthed and the, 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 the uh, three years where Paul has to write this letter, Paul says it's not good. And that's just three years. Well, you mean, you know, I've been a, a, a milk drinker for 40 years and, and you know, it, it was just, it was bad for three years for the church in Corinth. What, what, what should I do? Change your way. Change your way. Start being a Berean. Uh, it's not the end all to say, oh, you're a milk drinker. Oh, shame on you. It's not, I don't want to come off that way. But it's dangerous. I mean, I don't want to go to combat with somebody that's, you know, like, you know, a 40-year Christian and a milk drinker. I don't want to go to combat with such a person. I mean, you know, kind of uh, literally speaking, you know, combat, you know, I, I don't want to do it. I mean, it, it, it's just, I mean, when like Paul says to uh, Pastor Timothy, don't choose a novice. Don't choose a novice. You know why? It's dangerous. Spiritual warfare, it's no joke. You know, our pastor in California, he told this story when he was a chaplain for LAPD, Los Angeles Police Department, and he's a chaplain for LAPD. And the cops, they go to arrest this old lady at the house, you know, in, in LA. <clears throat> And this, the cops, they like two cops, you know, squad car goes up to the house. They go to arrest the old lady. They couldn't arrest her. She was too strong for two LAPD cops. You know, a lot of LAPD, a lot of military guys, you know, they have military bases all around Southern California. So a lot of guys, they get out of the military and it's pretty easy to be LAPD. Certain units, military units, it's like a piece of cake. It's, it's like, you know, it's it just transition. You walk out one door and you enter into another a piece of cake. So you got some tough guys, tough cookies who are, you know, LAPD. You know, L.A. sheriffs, they do it, the Border Patrol. You know, a lot of these guys are former military because of all the bases there in Southern California. And so what happens, you know, they, they, you know, they go to make this arrest and they couldn't arrest this lady. Two tough guys. They couldn't arrest this lady. Old lady. Not like, you know, a bodybuilder lady. Um, an old lady. And one of the guys, he knew, whoa, this is spiritual. There's, there's just something different. This lady's off. He knew it was spiritual. So he called the chaplain. And the chaplain was my, my pastor in California. And so the pastor in California, he, he calls his co-pastor and says, hey, you know, LAPD is calling us. We're going to go to this house. And so the two pastors, they go there, you know, pastor and the co-pastor, they go there. They tell the cops, hey, stand aside, you know, step, go away, you know, just stay at, at a distance, you know, and pray. Pray. We're going to go in here. We're going to confront this lady. And you guys, you pray. And so some of the cops, they're like calling their wives, you know, hey, you know, pray, you know, the pastor's going to do this, they're going to pray. So you have all these Christians activated, activated, you know, combat mode on their knees. So, you know, the pastors are going to go into the house. But meanwhile, you have all these activated Christians, you know, wives at home, you know, the husband cop calls the wife, hey, wife, you know, the uh, pastor's going to go into this house. You pray. The mom says, okay, we're going to, or the wife says, okay. And then says, hey, kids, come over here. We're going to pray. Let's get on our knees and this, you know, the pastor's going to do this. 
you know, daddy's in a, you know, in a situation that we're going to pray. So all these people, the pastors are going into the house. They're walking, you know, the, 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 the walkway and they're getting into the front door of the house. But meanwhile, instantly activated prayer warriors, prayer warriors. And then the pastors, they told everybody to stay at a certain vicinity because once a demon leaves a body, he's going to look for, where do I go next? Where can I find home? Where can I go into? Once a demon leaves a body, they knew it was demon possession. And this cop, when they couldn't arrest Liddy, he knew there's something going on here. This is spiritual. I think she might be possessed. And so the two pastors, they go knock on the door. The lady answers, sees the police, you know, in the distance. And then all of a sudden, immediately, she just goes off in her crazy rage. And then the pastors pray lay hands on her and they pray you see and they like rebuke and not just pray but i mean like heart like rebuke in the name of jesus you see and how cool it is to see this th these things happen because the you read the book of acts but then to see these things happen and witness these things and there are some people today who say, oh, the way the Holy Spirit moved in the book of Acts, that was for another dispensation. It's not for today. What are you talking about? Where in the Bible do you see an expiration date on the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works and the power of the Holy Spirit? Where in the Bible do you see that? Answer, you won't find it. You won't find it. So all of a sudden the pastors, they, I say pray, but they rebuke the, the, the demon. In the name of Jesus. And then so the demon leaves. And then the lady's like, oh, we should barely stand. They're all weak. And then they pray for the pastor. So the demon's gone now. So you have this empty, like, carcass, shell of a woman. And then they give her Jesus Christ. They give her Jesus. She accepts Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. They pray for her. They lay hands on her. And they pray for her. And then they say, okay, this understanding of, you know, there's this crime that you committed. And, you know, you have to do that. The cops are here. They're going to be gentle with you because, you know, you're not confrontational. It's, you're not demon possessed anymore. And so you have this brand new baby believer. And yes, you know, praise be to the Lord. But now she has to reap what she has sown and she has to do some jail time. The pastors go visit her in jail. She comes out of jail, does her time. And then, boom, she starts going to church. You know, she was, you know, going to church, you know, prison, prison church or jail church. She was doing that, reading her Bible. And she gets out of jail and goes to church. You see, a sister in the Lord, formerly demon possessed, former jailbird and a sister in the Lord, former committer of this crime. You see, how can somebody say, oh, that was for another dispensation. That was not for them. That's for another time. Very important. So, you know, when I say these things about being babies and, you know, I don't want to go to combat with a baby, it's not like to say, oh, shame on you, shame on you. But to understand it's you're doing a disservice to yourself and you're doing a disservice to your family and you're doing a disservice to the church, to the church. I mean, if you're 40 years and you're still a milk drinker, 20 years and you're still a milk drinker, 10 years and you're still a milk drinker, that's not good. Look at First First Corinthians chapter 3. We read this last week, but I'll read it again. In verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. 
I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. Three years in from the birth of the church, you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men, you see? So you hear me say, I don't want to go to battle with a baby. And it's true, I don't. Spiritual battle with a baby, I'm as, you know, at my side. You know, I want to go to battle with a titan at my side. A straight up warrior for Christ. I'm prayer warriors, no hypocrites, non-carnal. Those are the ones I want to go to battle with. And you know what? In the last days, the battle, it comes to us. The battle comes to us because the Antichrist spirit wants to kill you. He wants to kill you. The battle's going to come to you. It's going to come to your home. It's going to come to your wife. It's going to come to your husband. It's going to come to your kids. It's going to come to your parents, your grandparents, everybody, cousins. Because Satan comes to destroy. He was a murderer from the beginning. Who are, who are the ones who are biblically able to fight? I mean, all Christians can fight. But when I say fight, I mean straight up like, you know, where it's on like Donkey Kong. Who are they? And I, I don't say that boastfully. I don't say that pridefully. I say that biblically. Look at Paul's entourage. Look at those. Read Acts 20. Remember the earlier chapters? It wasn't the multitude of Christians. It was just a small select few. Acts 20. A little people who were eagerly wanting to hear the word of God. Not for 20 minutes. Not for an hour, not for two hours, not for five hours, not for ten hours, all night long till the next morning. You see? Hardcore. Hardcore. I love that so much. <coughs> and so look what happens here in chapter 2, verse 1. In continuation of our study last week, says, And I, brethren, remember the church is comprised of both Jew and Gentile. Because remember, you read uh, how Paul, it was customary for Paul to go into the synagogues to the Jew first, remember? This is our study from, from, from Acts. I mean, you can read Acts 18. He, he goes into Corinth and you see what happens. He goes into the synagogue. He says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech. Very interesting. Did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Do you know how wild verse 1 is? How contrary verse 1 is to the carnal mind? So say, for example, if you're a missionary, say you're an evangelist, or say you're telling one person about Jesus Christ. You're, you know, you're fishing. And you think, okay, how am I going to do this? What is my strategy? How do I apply logic to this situation? How do I apply my intellect to this situation? You're trying to strategize. Okay, how do I do this? You have an objective. And the objective, wow, I really want this guy to become a Christian. Wow, I really want this girl to become a Christian. I really want this lady, this guy, whoever, this young person to become a Christian. So let me strategize. How do I do that? How do I word things right? How do I do this? What verses do I point out to? What, what books do I look at? You know, what, how do I do this? And you might be, okay, I have this passion, I have this, this desire, so I'm going to go read this book. I'm going to go to the bookstore and get this book, How to Evangelize, written by, you know, Joe Schmuckatelli. 
Or I'm going to go, you know, go watch Tricking Believers nightly and see how does this guy do it. And I'm going to emulate what this guy does. Not realizing that it's blasphemous what is being taught on Tricking Believers nightly. He's trying to strategize. How do I do this? How do I do this? You know what Paul's strategy is? No wisdom and no excellence of speech. You see? <laughs> how? You see how counterintuitive that is to logic? No wisdom and no excellence of speech. That's what Paul says in verse 1. When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. It's like, what in the world? What kind of strategy is this? Well, this strategy it is not of this world. If you want to call it a strategy, it is not of this world. Very interesting. Paul says in verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Wow, what a strategy. If you want to call it a strategy. Why? Because if you remember our study in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, the, it's the power of God to salvation. The power of God. And Paul says, I'm not coming with excellence of speech. You ever hear people? They might be good orators. They might be excellent at speech. And then they're in the church and somebody says, oh, you know what? You should be a pastor. What? Why? Oh, you know what? You should, you should be an evangelist. Why? Because he has excellence of speech. Because this lady has excellence of, of, of speech. And now you think that she should go be an evangelist? Paul says, I didn't come to you. You know, forget excellence of speech. It is the power of God to salvation, the dunamis power. So you read verse 1 and 2, and you're like, wait a second. Paul didn't want to come with excellence of speech. He didn't want to come with wisdom. And he determined not to know anything except Christ and him crucified. And it's the power of God into salvation, as referenced in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. But what about Agrippa? You remember in Acts 26 when it was Agrippa who said, Hey, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Agrippa, he bit a little bit. He bit. He took the bait, so to speak. And I'm speaking as a fisherman. You have to understand that, you know, there's going to be times in your life as a Christian and, you know, as a fisherman, as a fisherwoman, where you are sharing the gospel and some people will hate you. Some people will reject you. Some people will tell you, get out of my face. Some people will threaten you. If you don't get out of my face, I'm going to punch you in the face. And then you're going to have another person who's going to listen to what you have to say. Thus fulfilling what the word of God teaches us. It is the power of God to salvation. You know, the Lord knows where people's hearts are at. The Lord knows. Where are the messengers to share the good news, to tell of the good news, to proclaim the good news? Where are the messengers? Paul determined. Paul determined. Hey. I'm just coming to you with Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. I don't want to come even though, you know, Paul did have excellence of speech. 
He did have that. I mean, you read his writings, it's like, whoa, who is this guy? You know, I love that I'm so in love with Paul. And not to deify Paul. He's the one that says, hey, I'm nothing. I'm not coming to you with excellence of speech. Even though Paul had excellence of speech. Paul says, I'm not coming to you with wisdom. Even though he had wisdom. He denied it all. Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you remember how on Wednesday in, in our study in Numbers? Humility. Humility of Moses. Look at the humility of Paul. Another servant in the in the Lord's household. Another servant. Moses and Paul. Where you see people getting on their high horse, be careful. Because it is not good. Where you see humility, rejoice. It's beautiful. Even though Paul had excellence of speech, he denied it. Even though Paul had wisdom, he denied it. What he didn't deny, he denied it. He says, I determined not to know anything. I mean, he could have talked about tents. Maybe there was a, a guy there who, who made tents. He said, okay, I'm going to talk to you about making tents. That's going to be my in. No, this isn't a sales pitch. This isn't a sales approach. Because salvation is the power of God into salvation. Paul says, I'm just going to know Jesus Christ. I'm just going to, you know, that's it. Accept Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says this in verse 3, I was with you in meek, in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And this is verse 3. It blesses my socks off and it blows me away. Because Paul reveals a little bit of his heart. He, I mean, a lot of bit of his heart is what is revealed, but I love this because he says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. But if you remember what's happened, in, you know, the birth of the church in Corinth happened in Acts 18. But you look at the buildup to the, the previous towns in Lystra in Acts 14 is where he was left for dead. Paul was left for dead. They thought, have you ever seen a limp body before? That was Paul. A limp body. They thought he was dead. Ah, oh, let's just leave him here. Acts 17 is where there was the home invasion. Do you remember our study about the home invasion? The cost of being a Christian. And then in Acts 19, there was, you know, there was great commotion about the people of the way. A great commotion spread about the way. It's almost like it's dangerous to be a Christian. And that's how it's going to be in the last days. Dangerous to be a Christian. But you know what I say? It is more dangerous not to be a believer. Not in this life. I'm talking about the life to come. It is more dangerous not to be a believer. Paul says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And we read these accounts in the book of Acts, and you can indeed see there is cause for much trembling. But then you also see something else in Acts chapter 18. You see these little red letters, red letters, where the Lord speaks to him and says, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look what Paul reveals in verse 3. He says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Wow, Paul, you were afraid? You were scared, Paul? Paul, you're such a titan. You were afraid? 
Paul, you're such a titan. You, you were trembling. Paul, you're so beautiful. You're so strong. You were weak. But you know what? Paul acknowledges his own weakness. He acknowledges his own fear. He acknowledges his own trembling. But then we read in Acts 18 and you see the little red letters. I'm just going to read it. Little red letters in Acts 18. 18 verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Look at the comfort that the Lord gave Paul. And what about the comfort that the Lord can give you? You see the beauty of intimacy? You and Jesus Christ. You and intimacy with Him. And He with you. Intimacy. Paul acknowledges his weakness, his fear, and his trembling. Acknowledge, complete and total acknowledgement. It's not, he's not hiding it. He's not, oh, you know, oh, Paul, you're such a titan. He's like, oh, yeah, popping his collar. Oh, yeah, I'm a tough guy. Oh, yeah, I am a titan. You're right. You know, praise be to the Lord. Look how awesome I am. The Lord speaks through me. Oh, yeah, and therefore, you do exactly what I say. No, Paul's afraid. In much fear. And the Lord speaks to him and comforts him. Don't be afraid, Paul. You see his intimacy with the Lord and then look at the comfort that the Lord gives him. We must be a people. We're in the same boat. We must be a people where our intimacy with the Lord and him alone, where it grows daily. Daily, because the days are getting dark. And it will be darker and darker and darker and darker. But the ones who have intimacy with him, what I can also call Goshen, where there's light with the people of God. As darkness comes, where is the light? You see? Goshen. Look at what happens here in verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. It's like, what in the world? This is so counterintuitive to logic. So counterintuitive to intellect and a strategic objective of being a missionary and evangelist or just telling one person about Jesus Christ being a fisherman or a fisherwoman. This is so counterintuitive to the logic of man. He says in verse one, okay, no excellence of speech. Now, I mean, picture a list. If you were to write a list, okay, what do I need to evangelize? I'm going to talk to this one person. I'm going to talk to this guy, talk to this girl about the Lord. And I want her to become a Christian. And you have a checklist. Okay, number one, I need to have excellence of speech. Okay, number two, I need to have wisdom. Okay, and let me see here. Uh, I need to know about this. I need to know about that. I need to know a little bit of the Old Testament here, a little bit of the New Testament here. Okay, you have your checklist. Bada bing, bada boom. And you're like, okay, now I got to have persuasive words. Let me read the dictionary so I can come up with these fancy words. Okay, let me add this mark. And you're coming out with the, all this list. 
And then you read, look at, we're just verse one, two, three, four. We're just four verses in. And you could scratch everything off that list. Not check it off like you've done it. Scratch it, like erase it. Just mark right through it. No excellence of speech. No wisdom declaring the testimony of the Lord. Uh, determining not to know anything. Okay, I got to know the Old Testament here. I got to know the New Testament. Here. No, scratch that off. You see? My speech. I got to have persuasive words with human wisdom. Nope, scratch it off. Paul determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see? In verse 4, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Not to, you know, Paul could be quite persuasive. Remember Agrippa? Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul, you almost persuade me. So Paul could be persuasive. He had wisdom. He had excellence of speech. He can be persuasive. He didn't know a lot about the you know, Pharisee, a Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel, a well-respected Pharisaical teacher. And he denies it all. Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see? He says in verse 4, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words, uh, persuasive words of human wisdom. Wisdom in the anthropinos is what it is in the Greek. The anthropinos, which is the manner of men. He says this. But in demonstration of the spirit, notice the capital S here. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Demonstration here translates as the manifestation. So what is manifestation? So if I tell you, uh, um, say, I, I, I say, I got in this idea for a widget, whatever it is, you know, this uh, doohickey. I'm, I'm going to make a doohickey. And I explain to you, I want this doohickey to do this. I want it to perform like this. And this is how I'm going to use it in this application. And I say, I'm going to make this doohickey. And I describe it to you. And you're thinking, okay, this guy's a little crazy. That sounds impossible. But then I go to my computer. I go to my computer, do all the, you know, the, the, uh, the design of it. You know, I build it, construction, all, you know, on the computer. And I have this 3D printer. I hit the print button. Then all of a sudden, you know, the little, you know, whatever happens with the 3D printing. And then all of a sudden I have it in my hand. And then I come to you. Hey, remember I told you two days ago and I had this idea, this concept. Oh, look. Here it is, right here, my very own, my very first doohickey. Check it out. And you hold it, and you're like, yeah, this is like exactly how you told me. Well, what you're looking at, what you're holding in your hand in that situation, what you're holding in your hand is the manifestation of this concept, this idea that I told you about two years, uh, two days ago. You might, in your mind, you're there, I don't really get what this guy's talking about, but you know, He's kind of crazy, you know, but I'll, I'll just, you know, let he let him do his thing. But two days later, you're holding on to my very first special doohickey. And you see it. It's exactly as I told you. And you're seeing the manifestation of what I told you about two days ago. You're holding it. It's not an idea anymore. It's not a concept. It's not anything that you have to fathom. 
because you're holding it. You look you're, with your own eyes. You, you're touching it with your hands. You're looking at it with your eyes. You can feel it. You can put your finger like little, there's little like dents and indentations of where I need another piece to go in and you can see it. Physically. The manifestation. And that's what Paul is talking about here in verse 4. I'm not coming to you with persuasive words of human wisdom, of wisdom in the anthropinos, the manner of men, but in the demonstration or the manifestation of the Spirit. Capital S. Capital S. In demonstration or the manifestation of the Spirit and of power. You see? So all these sets which were happening in the church in Corinth, people were saying, remember in, in, in chapter 1, verse 12, all these different sects where they say, oh, I, 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 I'm of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. There were all these divisions. Christ is the best. He's number one. He's the head pastor of the church. All these divisions, different sects, divisions in the church. And Paul denies himself. You see? What about you today? You believe in Jesus Christ? You are a manifestation of God's spirit and power. When you believe, you are a manifestation of God's spirit and power. Just like we read about in the gospel. Just as we read about in the Old Testament. Just as we read about in the New Testament, all these promises of God, we read these, you know, ideas to concepts, so to speak. I'm kind of speaking, you know, like uh, uh, business-wise, you know, uh, idea to concept. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, wait, I'm a believer. I'm a, in your shoes. You believe. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh, praise be to the Lord. I believe. Okay. I rejoice with you. Praise be to the Lord. But you, my friend, you, my brother, you, my sister, because you believe, you are a manifestation of God's Holy Spirit and His power, dunamis power. Oh, that was for another dispensation, the power of the Holy Spirit. We were reading the book of Acts and His power and how He worked. That was for another dispensation. It's not for today. That was just for 2,000 years ago. Wait a second. You're denying this power of the Lord, this power of the Holy Spirit. You're denying it and reserving it for 2,000 years ago. Well, what do you believe in, my friend? Could it be that you are religious? Could it be that you are adhering to a model of religion instead of having relationship with the Son of the Most High God? Could it be that, you know, if you want to reserve the Holy Spirit for 2,000 years ago and say that that was it, that was for another dispensation, could it be that there is no manifestation of the Holy Spirit and His power inside of you? If that is the case, if that is the case, and you find yourself more religious following you know, the Bible and the head knowledge, head intellect and wisdom of man, the wisdom in the anthropinos, 
If that is you, believe again. Exercise your muscles of faith and receive Jesus Christ. It's very important in these last days. Because the Bible teaches us, Jesus Christ says, red letters, no flesh would be saved, even the elect. No flesh will be saved unless, unless those days be shortened. You see? Oh, we're not going to be here. We're not going to be here. We're not going to be here. We're going to be raptured out. Okay? Let me say this. What if you don't make the rapture? Are you blasphemous. How can you say such a thing? Well, where's the demonstration? Where's the manifestation of the Spirit and of His power? What if you don't make the rapture? If you're a pre-tribulationist, what if you don't make the rapture? Oh, nonsense, nonsense. Okay. <clears throat> okay. But let me say this. Me. I don't teach a pre-tribulation rapture. I don't teach that. Now, you might say, whoa, that's blasphemous. Well, after this study, listen to our study, which is called When is the Rapture? You have to find it. You're going to have to scroll and look for it. But look for it and listen to it. It's very important in these last days. And you have to be a Berean. You have to open up scripture and listen. And, you know, it, you have to go through it methodically. Listen to the study and because we look at scriptures, we look at passages of scripture, you know, and I don't want to rock anybody's faith. I don't want to, uh, you know, because sometimes I say that and people are like, whoa, that's crazy. How you're, you're so crazy. But something's going to happen where we see this, you know, you see the Abraham Accords, you know, prophetically speaking, we see, you know, the promises of the, the, the prophecies of Daniel, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these prophecies. Uh, Revelation, uh, uh, Thessalonians, uh, 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 Jesus Christ himself in the Gospels, how he would say all these things, little indicators. But with these things that we see today, the Abraham Accords, and not just in the Abraham Accords, the Abraham Accords have a certain level of, um, are, are found wanting in the eyes of certain global bodies, the United Nations, Russia, uh, oil conglomerates, uh, the European Union, the European Commission, UNSC, even the United States with this new current administration. And there are already calls to make adjustments to the Abraham Accords, not to do away with the Abraham Accords, but to reconfirm and strengthen the Abraham Accords. Read the news articles. Because when I hear global politicians start to speak about reconfirming, specifically using those words, reconfirming a covenant with many, my ears perk up. Why? Because prophetically speaking, that marks the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. You see? Very important. To be a Berean and understand what the scriptures say. Search the scriptures, understand what they say, and abide in Christ. To read and heed, not be a hearer of the word only, to be a doer of the word. Why? 
because of the manifestation of the spirit and of his power inside of you because you believe. Remember my concept, my little, my doohickey? Where two days ago I tell you about my doohickey, you think I'm crazy? And here we are two days and you're holding my doohickey in your hand. You can touch it, you can feel it, you can see it. And it's the manifestation of my doohickey concept to reality, idea to concept to reality. You can touch it, you can feel it. Well, the same thing can be said of you when you believe. If you believe right now, praise be to the Lord. If you don't believe right now, hit pause and listen to our uh, message about how to become a Christian. How to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you believe that's the manifestation. The manifestation of God's Holy Spirit and of His power. Brings it home. It brings it home. Because we don't believe the the head knowledge. Some people do, but I don't teach that. Because head knowledge has its limitations. Like we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It will come to an end. Knowledge does have its purpose, but it will come to an end. It will cease. Prophecy will cease. Tongues will cease. Love never fails. So in this demonstration or manifestation of the spirit and of power, verse 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men. In the wisdom of men. But in the power of God. You see? It's not... Paul doesn't have a, a a total denial of wisdom. I mean, like verse one, he says, "I did not come with excellence of speech or with wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God." For so, what happens is he he denied wisdom, but not completely and totally. He denied wisdom because there were babies. He was speaking to writing this letter to babies. It's not this deep spiritual things, deep things of wisdom. It's not for the church in Corinth at this particular juncture in chapter 1 and chapter 2 because of their carnality. And that's what carnality does. Chapter 3, verse 3, for you are still carnal. You are still carnal, Paul says. And because they're still carnal, there is deep truths that have to be withheld from the church have to it is dangerous to get i mean take a rifle a rifle what a tool a rifle is i mean you can go hunting you can kill an animal you know you kill the animal you take the skins you have the skins you can make clothing you take i mean back in the day you used to take you know stomach parts and do all these use it in there you know for uh, certain linings and certain materials that they use 100 of the body 100 of the body and they kill an animal, do all these things, and they have food to eat, and all, all these different things. You know, maybe a, a little bow and arrow. But you take a rifle, and you put that in a three-year-old's hand, you know how dangerous that is? Or a knife, a steak knife. You put a steak knife in a two-year-old's hand, you know how dangerous that is? Poke the eye out, you know, stab themselves, stab another person, stab you. On accident, the key. Who's the foolish one? You can say, oh, that two-year-old is such a fool. No, the adult is the fool. Why are you putting a steak knife? Why are you putting a steak knife in a two-year-old's hand? 
Oh, that kid is such a fool. No, 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 no. The adult is the fool for permitting that to happen. So there was a denial of wisdom, except for Christ and Him crucified. There is a denial of wisdom, but for a reason, because of their carnality. It's not to say to a baby, you can't use a steak knife. I mean, a two-year-old, you can't use a steak knife. But when you're older, you can use a steak knife. Here, let me cut your meat. You know, I'm, today I'm going to cut your meat. You know, you have a, you know, a little kid eating a piece of steak. You, you, you cut it up for them. A parent, you know, a mom and dad cuts the meat. Cuts it. It's cut for the baby. The baby cannot eat. Or the kid, two-year-old, three-year-old, whatever. The kid can now eat. Because the meat was cut by the parent. But one day, that kid is going to cut his own, her own. Because they've learned to use the knife, the steak knife. You see? And then the kid's going to matriculate. And he's going to use the knife to, you know, whatever the, you know, whatever he needs to use the knife for. And then maybe the knife, he's going to trade in the knife and get a sword. And he's going to learn how to use the sword. He uses a sword for multiple applications to include fighting. To include combat. Hand-to-hand combat. To include close quarter combat. I'm speaking, you know, literally, but spiritually speaking, applicationally to our faith, the sword of the spirit. That kid who, you know, couldn't use a steak knife at one point in his or her life is now using a sword and hardcore fighting a warrior. You see? That child has transformed by renewing of his mind, by renewing of her mind. That child has transformed and is now able. He says this in verse 6. However, so there's the deny in verse 1. I did not come with excellence of speech or with wisdom. So no wisdom. In verse 6, he says, however, we speak the wisdom. We speak wisdom among those who are mature. You see? It's not a denial of wisdom to deny wisdom from these people, the church in Corinth, Christians, brothers, sisters. To t- can you, do you know how offended Christians will get today? How offended, which is a sign of the last days. You know, read Matthew 24. It's a sign of the last days. Christians today will be offended. If you tell a Christian, you know, hey, I'm going to withhold wisdom from you. And, you know, oh, why? You know, are you too good for me? They, they 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 become carnal. Even that response is is like in chapter three verse three, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? When carnality is exposed, you know what you're looking at, a baby. Where you see carnality, you also see the baby, the milk drinker. I mean, you ever you see pastors who are babies? I do. I know pastors, so-called pastors, very dangerous. They're novices. It's very dangerous for a baby to be a pastor. But what do you see in the pulpits today? Baby pastors. You see? Has nothing to do with age. Remember Paul said to Timothy, let no one despise your youth? Remember, age in Christ, it's different than age in the carnal sense. I mean, imagine if there's like a 60-year-old pastor, an 80-year-old pastor in Paul and Timothy's day. 
old guy, you know, old big white beard, you know, oh, you know, you can't, you know, and talking to like a 16-year-old Timothy, you know, 18-year-old Timothy. He was young, young Timothy, 18 years old, 19 years old. But look who he is with. Part of Paul's entourage, not to deify Paul, but Paul was quite the vessel. He was with Paul. And so now all of a sudden, young Pastor Timothy has this overseer responsibility in the church. Imagine the backlash he got by maybe a 60-year-old pastor, 80, 70, 80-year-old pastor, gray beard and everything, got the wrinkles and everything. You think, wow, surely wisdom is with this old guy. But no, the wisdom was with Timothy. The knowledge was with Timothy. Look who he was with. Look at the ministry of his mom and grandma, Eunice and Lois, sacrificially pouring into him as a young child. And then at one point in the child's life, the parents say, hey, look, Paul, we're maxed out. We've taught all we can teach based on our knowledge. But here, can you take Timothy under your wing? Paul says, okay. Circumcises Timothy. You say, wait, we're not, there's no circumcision. That's not the sign of a Christian. But remember, he was a, 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 a half-breed. You know, Jew and Gentile. Timothy. His parents, Jew and Gentile. And Paul was going into the synagogue. So into the synagogue, people say, oh, you know, no, no, no Gentiles are allowed in the synagogue. But Paul could say, hey, he's with me. He's not a Gentile, so no, he's going to be here with me. And for young Timothy, as a young kid, 10 years old, 12 years old, young Timothy to be with Paul and to hear him, his discourse in the synagogue, to see Paul, to hear Paul in hand-to-hand combat, spiritually speaking, metaphysically speaking, amongst the religious establishment, among the so-called learned class. And then all of a sudden, the Lord grows Timothy. The Lord grows Timothy even more. Timothy, 12 12 years old, 13 years old, and yet maturing at an astronomical rate. Astronomical rate. Maturity in Christ. And then he becomes an overseer in the church. And he tells Timothy, let no one despise your youth. You know, that 50-year-old so-called pastor, that 60-year-old so-called pastor who's allowing these things to happen where the where Christians are, where God's flock are, where, where God's sheep and God's lamb are, and this so-called pastor is permitting that to happen? No, their mouths must be stopped, Timothy, and you are the vessel now. I have poured into you, and now it's time for you to pour out. Not that Timothy wasn't pouring out before, but now it's in a different role, different capacity. You see? That's that's how the Lord works. The same can be said of Moses and Joshua. Paul and Timothy. You see? Paul says, I'm not coming to you with wisdom. That's more of an indictment against their babiness. You see? The church in Corinth. 
I say babiness, I don't even know if that's a word, but it's the, you look at it, it's like, wow, they, these guys are a bunch of babies, the church in Corinth. I love them. They're my brothers. They're my sisters. I love them, but I don't like what I see happening in the church. And you're going to see when we get into chapter three, four, five, six, you're going to see, I can't believe this is happening in the church. Why? What is happening here in the church? And then you see why Paul says what he says. I'm not coming at you with wisdom, but you know, because wisdom is for the mature. Wisdom is for the, in verse 6, however, we speak wisdom among those who are teleos. Teleos, who are complete, is how it translates, mature. Today, today in the church, the large majority of Christians in the church are immature. Immature. I don't say that to hurt anybody's feelings. I know that that's a heavy statement to make because the church belongs to the Lord. You might say, I'm offended. I'm offended. How dare you say that? How dare you say that the large majority are babies? How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Well, in your response of carnality, are you not exposing your own babiness? Oh, you say babiness. That's not even a word. You see how stupid you are? No, more shame upon you. Because the unlearned is saying this to the so-called learned. You see? God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Praise be to the Lord. Oh, I'm offended. I'm offended. Can it not be said of you? That the mature are offended? You say, what do you mean? Well, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Turn there really quick. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. One verse. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. You see? Maturity. It is lacking today in the church. It is lacking. And you know what? It's by satanic strategy because Satan wants you on milk. It's how he gets people to transgress so much so that they depart from the faith. As prophesied, a departure from the faith, apostasy. You see? A departure from the faith. Remember, uh, Acts 1, Judas, by transgression, fell. Oh, but God chooses you. God chooses you. Yes, it is true. But then at the same time, he searches the heart. And don't forget, eklegomai. You 12 I have chosen, but one of you is a devil. Eklegomai. In the Greek. Oh, but God chooses, God chooses, Jesus Christ chooses, yes. But you 12 I have chosen and one of you is a devil. Oh, but the scriptures had to be fulfilled, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, yes. What scriptures are being fulfilled in you, good or bad? You choose. You see? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, going back to chapter 2 now. 
Verse 6, however, we speak wisdom among those who are, who, who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. You know, think about politics. Not the wisdom of the, this age, nor of the rulers of this age, the politicians. Because a lot of people find hope in politicians. Oh, you know what? I got this huge student debt, so I'm going to vote for this guy, and he's going to take away my debt. I'm going to vote for this lady, and they're going to take away my student debt. Oh, you know what? I, I can't afford this, so I'm going to vote for this guy, and, you know, he's going to put this in the place, and, and, you know, all my debt's going to go away. I can afford this now. I can afford this. It's like, wait a second. Look at what's happening. People are finding hope in politicians. Paul says, not the wisdom of this age, nor with the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. This is man's wisdom. Rulers, politicians. When he says here at the end of verse 6, who are coming to nothing. It translates as rendered useless and made void. Politicians, politics. All these politicians, they say, you know what? I'll give you this, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. Oh, by the way, we abort babies. They're sowing seeds of judgment to themselves. Higher learning, academia. All the parents say, hey, yeah, go to college, go to university, go here, go higher learning, higher learning, do all these things. Well, don't forget, verse 6 here. Not the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of the world, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, who will be rendered useless and made void is how it translates. It's coming to nothing. It's God who gives wisdom. Look at academia. Look at Christians compared to academia. Christians where the Bible says, you know, uh, 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 God created them both male and female. But then you look at academia among the learned class, the higher learning, the universities, all these, you know, professors, doctorates in this and that. And they start to teach, oh, there's 30 genders. There's 50 genders. There's 62 genders. And you read the Bible, oh, the, God created them male and female. Look at the stupid class. The foolish ones. Professing to be wise, they became fools, as is written in Holy Scripture. Some of the smartest people I know are Christians. Why? Because wisdom is given of the Lord. Wisdom. Some of the smartest people I know. Paul says, yes, there's wisdom. But it's not for you, church. That's what he's saying to the church in Corinth. There's an abundance of wisdom. But it's not for you, church. You say, oh, how can you say that? I'm so offended. How can you say that? Well, let me put it to you in other terms. There's an abundance of calculus. There's an abundance of statistics. There's an abundance of English 300 classes. But it's not for you, preschooler. It's not for you, first grader. In first grade, in preschool, you got to learn your ABCs. You got to learn to count one, two, three. You can finger paint. You got to learn the colors. You got to learn basic stuff. It's not to denigrate the student and say like, oh, you know what? You're going to burn in hell. No. It's to acknowledge that first grader, that preschooler. Yes, you're my brother. You're my sister. But you know what? You're not at this stage yet. 
We need to mature in Christ. Oh, I'm so offended. Let's step outside. I'm going to beat you up. That's carnality. Your own behavior exposes your youth, not the good youth, the bad youth. You're a baby. Oh, I hate that you say that. You know what? I'm going to cuss you out. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to slash your tires. I'm going to do these things. You call yourself a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Once saved, always saved. Okay. Your carnality is still being exposed. And you're still a baby. Milk drinker. Very dangerous for these dark days. Very, very dangerous for these dark days. It is not good. Get off of milk. I have something to say to men. Cut the umbilical cord. You got to cut that cord. Cut it. It is not good. You know, you have so-called men. I call them little boys, little babies, you know, wearing their diapers with their little binkies. You have to put on your big boy pants. You cannot be a little baby. A lot of men, spiritually speaking, they're babies. But then on top of that, they're like double the baby because they're babies in Christ. But then they're babies because they like that umbilical cord. I don't call them men. I meant, I don't like it. I think it's kind of gross. But that's just me. It's not good. But if you're a man, if you're male, you're in Christ, you're a Christian and you're a guy, you know, grow, you know, put down the bottle and grow and, you know, cut the umbilical cord. You have to. You don't have to. I strongly urge you. I say you have to because I want you to, but you have your own choice to make. That's your walk. You know, that's your walk. I can help you in your walk, but, you know, I can't force you to walk. And praise be to the Lord how he teaches us these things. It's not to say that wisdom is not available for the church in Corinth. It's to say, wait a second, let's reserve it until they reach a state of maturity. And that's what we see in the latter chapters of 1 Corinthians. And then we also see it in 2 Corinthians. Deeper, deeper spiritual things. Why? Because they've moved on from their state of babiness. They moved on. Just like in verse 6 says, we speak wisdom among those who are teleos, complete, complete maturity. He says this in verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Very interesting. This word for mystery is silence as, as initiation is how it translates. Silence as initiation. Now, When I hear the word initiation, there are certain things that come into mind. I think of like military initiation, people go into boot camp and that's a military initiation or people get jumped into the gangs, you know, and, you know, they get the gang beat down and that's an initiation into a gang or people join it like in university, they join a a sorority or a fraternity and they're a pledge, you know, then so there's that initiation into that life. That's what I think about. But you read these passages in scripture and it is silence as initiation. In verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. What is this mystery? This initiation, what is it? Paul is going to explain it here. Is this for all Christians? Now, I'm going to say something very, very controversial. 
is this are these verses here in uh, starting in verse 7 are these verses for all christians and the controversial statement is this no <gasps> what how dare you say that but we speak the wisdom of god in a mystery is it for all christians i say no and i teach no i'll tell you why because in chapter 4 Verse 1, let a man so consider us. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we'll study that when we get into chapter 4 in a couple weeks. Lord willing. Let a man so consider us. Who is he talking about? Well, he's talking about himself. He's talking about Apollos. He's talking about Cephas. He's talking about the pastors, the elders. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Remember, silence as initiation, the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. You remember our studies in Numbers 12 on Wednesday, that little spiritual checklist? Humility, how you heard my exhortation, look for humility, look for sound doctrine, look for the fruit of the Spirit. But then here, in accordance with chapter 4, verse 2, also look for faithfulness. Stewards must be faithful. Who is a steward? A servant of Christ in the master's household. Stewards of the mysteries of God as is written in verse 1 here of chapter 4. So with this knowledge base of chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, let's look at second or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. But we speak the mysteries of God in a mystery. So these are servants. These are the stewards of this mystery. What is the mystery? The hidden wisdom. You see, the hidden wisdom. Remember, this wisdom isn't for the mature, for the babies. In, in verse 6, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, amongst those who are complete. Like me personally, if I was going to speak with a young Christian, I don't care about the age. But if I was to speak with a young Christian, I wouldn't speak with them the same way I would speak with somebody who's been a Christian for 30 years and has grown and matriculated in Christ. I, I don't speak the same. Deeper, deeper conversations that I have with brothers and sisters who have matured in Christ. Much deeper conversation. Much, much deeper conversation. Such conversations that I would dare not have with a brand new believer. Dare not have. And I don't say that in a boastful, I don't say that pridefully or boastfully. Like, oh, I'll look at knowledge, knowledge. No, it's nothing like that. It's wisdom. It's wisdom, and not of man, of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. Remember, the demonstration, the manifestation of the Spirit and of power. Paul says in verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, the concealed, and the wisdom that is kept secret is how it translates, which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Whoa. Remember ordained? Pro orizo 
in our study in Romans 9, 10, 11. Remember, proorizo, the predetermined. God ordained the hidden wisdom. He preordained before the ages for our glory. How this better translates in the Greek is that he preordained this this hidden wisdom or this concealed wisdom, which God preordained before the ages for the purpose of our glory. That's how it better translates in accordance with the Greek. For the purpose of our glory. Do you know why? Oh, but no flesh should glory in the Lord. Yes, absolutely right. But the Christian who abides in Christ till the very end, who presses forward, the Christian who abides in Christ, the wise virgin, not the foolish virgin, the wise virgin, will receive a glorified body one day. A glorified body one day. Which today, you hear me say that. So, so you're abiding in Christ. You love the Lord. You fear the Lord. You're abiding in Christ. And I tell you, hey brother, hey sister, you will receive a glorified body. Now, today, you hear that. And being a Berean, you can measure it with scripture. And see that what I'm saying is true and biblically accurate. But it's idea right now. Not to blaspheme the word of God, but it's idea. It's concept. Conceptually, we receive these things by faith. But one day, one day, you will be the manifestation of this promise in your glorified body. One day. Not today. But one day. You see? The things we receive by faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. These are things that God preordained. Before the ages for our glory. For you. For me. For all who abide in Christ. For all who believe. If you're a non-believer, become a believer. God loves you. He takes your sin. He places it on his son. And you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know why? Because sin separates you from God. And if you die without Jesus Christ, you will burn in hell. And I don't want that for you. And neither does God who is long-suffering for you. And he gave his only son. Not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved In verse 8, speaking about this glory, which none of the rulers of this age, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Whoa. So Paul, Paul touches on the political realm, talking about the rulers of this age. If they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's if they had known. Which tells us what? They knew not. The religious leaders, the political leaders of both Jew and Gentile, they didn't know. Our problems, 
I'm the first to admit we have a lot of problems culturally speaking in our world, in our locales, locally speaking, wherever it is that you are in this globe, there are a lot of problems. It cannot be solved politically. It cannot be solved religiously. It can only be solved with Jesus Christ. And the kingdoms of this world one day, it's concept now, you know, speaking about the, the, the demonstration and manifestation idea, it's concept right now. But there will be proof to concept one day. When all the kingdoms of this world become that of Jesus Christ during his millennial reign. All the kingdoms. Government will be placed on his shoulders. People today say, oh, Jesus Christ is the Messiah? What are you talking about? The Bible says that the governments will be placed on his shoulders and he's dead. He died. Yes, you're right. He did die. But he rose again. Remember, Paul says in verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yes, he did die. You're absolutely right. He did die. But you say the government's going to be placed on his shoulders. Yeah. How was that accomplished? He rose again. You see? And the government will be placed on his shoulders when the kingdoms of this world are handed over to Jesus Christ when he comes again. You talk to the Jews, oh, there's two messiahs. No, one messiah, two comings. You talk to the Jews of this day, this age. Oh, there's two messiahs. You know, we believe the prophets, we believe this, but there's two messiahs. No, one messiah, two comings. The messiah in whom your forefathers rejected. And blindness in part has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. It is written. You see? And these are the things which verse 8 says, none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, he points to Isaiah now, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You see? There's the mystery right there. For those who love him. Paul says in verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Silence as initiation. And is it revealed here in verse 9? The things which God has prepared for those who love him. You see, the love of God. And the love of God elicits and evokes unseen things. The fruit of the Spirit which becomes seen. You see? It's very important to understand these things. Christians. Christians are people of the way. This is why, in, you remember Simon? How the Holy Spirit bypassed Simon in our study in the book of Acts? Do you remember? The Holy Spirit skipped over. He believed. He was amongst Christians, except the Holy Spirit came down 
And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit went inside everybody. Except Simon. Why? There was sin inside of his heart. Wickedness inside of his heart. The Lord knew it. The Lord saw it. Nobody else saw it. Philip didn't see it. The other Christians didn't see it. Peter perceived. He saw. He knew. And he told Simon to repent. Simon to Simon. Simon Peter to Simon. You see? The love of the Lord. It's not to say, Lord, I love you and you're going to be on the crack pipe. Lord, I love you and you're going to continue in your sin. No, because love evokes a response. It elicits a response. What is it? Lord, here am I. Present your body a living sacrifice, as Paul says in Romans 12. Which is your reasonable service, he tells the church in Rome. So these things, this mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God proorizo before the ages for the purpose of our glory. He preordained before the ages for the purpose of our glory. Verse 10, Paul says the why. But God has revealed them. God has apocalypto in the Greek, the revealing. He has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. He investigates is how it translates. The the Holy Spirit investigates all things. Yes, the deep things of God. You talk to employers now. You know, they get a job applicant, you know, job application. They say, okay, yeah, you know, before I'm going to interview this guy, you know, uh, do, do research on his background. Go through, you know, do research on him. Go through, look at his, you know, uh, social media. Talk to the past employer. And so HR does all that. And they come back, wow, this guy's a criminal. Wow, this guy did all this. I talked to the last employer and he embezzled, you know, $10,000, all this. It got, I'm not going to hire this guy. No way. How did that other applicant go? Oh, this lady, she's a gem. Okay, let's bring her on board. We have, you, you go on, on a date, you know, somebody says, hey, can I have your number? You know, you do you have your, in, your first interaction, you know, however dating goes. It's been a while, you know. However dating goes, you know, you get the phone number, you talk on the first date, whatever. You like the guy, you like the girl, whatever, all these things. But then you go home at night after the first date. Then you do, you know, you do his research. You're like, whoa, this guy's been with 50 girls. No way. I'm not going to go out with this guy. That's disgusting. Whoa, this girl's an alcoholic, you know, she does all these drugs. I see her snorting lines, doing all these things. No way, I'm not going to go out with her. You see? You do your investigation. But what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit searches all things. He investigates all things. Remember, He knows the heart. He knows the heart, your heart and mine. Yes, the deep things of God. So you start start to see why the Holy Spirit skipped over Simon. Why? Because let's go there in Acts chapter 8 really quick.
So you see Philip, you know, in, in, in chapter 8, verse uh, 5, you know, Philip, he goes and preached Christ. And all these people became believers. And, you know, the, the people became believers. And then in verse 13, Simon himself also believed. And he was also baptized. Very interesting. So wait, Simon, he's a believer. He was baptized. He continued with, with Philip and was amazed. This is all verse 13. He was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Wow. So he believes. And he's baptized. Whoa, this is wild. But then Peter comes into town. Peter and John, verse 14, Peter and John come into town. And in verse 15, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. The Holy Spirit had come into none of them. For they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see? And then they laid hands on them. This is Peter and John. They laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Except something happens where the Holy Spirit skips over Simon. And then look at verse 21. Simon says to Simon, Simon Peter says this to Simon. Simon, who was in verse 13, he believed. He was baptized in Jesus. Except no Holy Spirit. Remember the Holy Spirit, what we read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse uh, 10. He searches all things. He knows the heart. And in verse 21 of Acts 8, Peter says, You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, he says. Wait a second. He believes. Verse 13, Simon believes he's also baptized in Jesus Christ, and you're telling him to repent? Once saved, always saved, I thought. Don't forget, it's entirely possible to be a short-term believer, to believe, and then all of a sudden to not believe. It's entirely possible. And Peter says here in verse 22, Repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness. Whoa! Verse 13, Simon believed, and he was baptized, but then in verse 22, he's wicked. Peter perceived this. Because he's a vessel full of the Holy Spirit. You see? Same Spirit, Spirit of the Lord. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart, the Holy Spirit knows the heart. The Holy Spirit knew the heart of Simon. He could see the heart of Simon. Philip, he couldn't see the heart of Simon. The other Christians, they couldn't see the heart of Simon. Peter perceived. That the Holy Spirit had not come upon them yet. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they laid hands on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. Save one. Except for one. By the name of Simon. And Simon Peter says. Repent of this your wickedness. And pray God. If perhaps the thought of your heart. May be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. And are bound by iniquity. Whoa. A believer in Jesus, baptized in Jesus, and still wicked. The thought of his heart, the, the thoughts of his heart, poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. You see? So you hear me say, it's possible to believe and not to believe. You say, wait a second, I wasn't taught that. Well, turn to Luke. You're about to be taught it right now.
Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. But the ones on... This is red letters too. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Wow, praise be to the Lord. They receive the... Remember, in verse 11, the seed is the word of God. And so when they hear, they receive the word with joy. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Except, says, and these have no root, who believe for a while. You see? Short-term believer. They believe only for a little while. A week, two months, two years, five years, ten years. I don't know. All I know is that they're a short-term believer. Not to the very end. Who, who believe... <coughs> excuse me. Who believe for a while... And in time of temptation, they fall away, falling away. You know what's prophesied in the last days? A great falling away. A departure from the faith. Apostasia. Apostasy. It is prophesied. That's why you hear me say it is dangerous to be a baby. It's beautiful if you're a baby, if you're a brand new believer. But let's move on to perfection. You see, let's move on to perfection. Just like in uh, 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 Hebrews chapter 5, what I read from Hebrews chapter 5, verse tw uh, 12, for this time, but for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone, uh, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk. And not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. You see? Chapter 6, verse 1. Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of dead and of eternal judgment. You see? Move on to perfection. You're a brand new believer. Praise be to the Lord. Let's move on to perfection. You're a seasoned believer. Praise be to the Lord. Let's move on to perfection. To completion. Remember in 1 Corinthians, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 6, we speak wisdom among those, those who are mature. We speak wisdom among those who are teleos, complete. Let's get there. Let's get there. Because when you move on to perfection, the propensity for apostasia, the propensity for falling away is mitigated. It becomes less and less and less and less to the point where it becomes impossible. To the point where it becomes Goshen. You see, light in the darkness. And during the times, as they get darker and darker and darker and darker, it's a remnant, according to grace, just as Romans 11 teaches us a remnant according to grace. You say, what are you talking about a remnant, remnant according to grace? I was never taught that. Well, let's turn to Romans 11 and you're about to be taught that. Romans 11 verse 5. Even so then at this present time, this is new covenant time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. You see? 
Just like the Old Testament, we see a picture of a remnant. In the New Testament, as New Covenant believers, we see a picture of the remnant. What is that picture? You and me. Abiding in Christ. You see? The manifestation of the Spirit and of His power. Oh, but that was for 2,000 years ago. Nonsense. But my pastor says that was for another dispensation. Rubbish. Poppycock. Get a new pastor. You see? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in closing... In verse 11, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. You see, that's one of the big dangers in the last days is this rise of ecumenism. This rise of interfaithism. But God's spirit is not divided against God. You see, I mean, this interfaithism, look at the Pope today, this rise of the United Nations and this interfaith movement. You look at the, what the Pope is actively doing here with his, uh, uh, frutiti. I forgot what you say. It's in Latin, you know, frutiti. This is his, uh, council, the, the, uh, um, they have their, their new, uh, synod, you know, read it. Just go to Google, read the news. Look at what the Pope is doing, this interfaithism in, tan in tandem with the United Nations. Read about it. Look what's happening. This interfaithism that's on the rise in the name of peace. All in the name of peace. The peace we see in the last days is a false peace. It's a fake peace. It's only temporal. And so this interfaithism, these so-called people say, oh, yeah, they're Christians, they're Christians. But they're saying, oh, you know, let's have oneness with, you know, this group. Let's have oneness with, you know, let's engage Baha'i. Let's engage the uh, 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 Muslims. Let's engage the Mormons. Let's engage this and have this interfaithism for the sake of peace and in accordance with the frutiti. In accordance with what's being, you know, uh, 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 disseminated from Rome. The seven hills in accordance with what is disseminated from the city of seven hills. Very interesting, seven hills. Read about the seven hills in Revelation. God's spirit is not divided against God. And you know what? Neither will God's messengers. God's messengers will not be divided against the Holy Bible. False teachers will. False teachers will because, you know, the Holy Spirit, they do not have. Therefore, they are not holy. The false teachers, the false prophets. Oh, in the name of peace, let's do this. Yeah, Christians, Muslims, Baha'i. Hindu, yeah, we're all one. Let's unite for the sake of peace. That's not the spirit of Christ. That is the spirit of Antichrist. You see? Verse 12, in closing. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, 
But the Spirit, notice capital S here, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You know, no student debt. Freely given, no student debt. You want to know more of the Lord? You read his word, no student debt. Because knowledge is freely given. Freely given. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches. Remember, Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you. Paul says, I don't want to come with you. Speech and preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, he says in verse 4. But here in verse 13, he says, these things we also speak, not in words which, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. This word for comparing is sukrino. You hear me say that, you know, there crino, we, we cannot crino, we cannot condemn, but there are derivatives of crino, such as anacrino and diacrino. Those are the two biggies. But then there are derivatives of crino. Well, this is one of them. Sucrino. Sucrino. It is to judge through a combination or a collation. I'll give you an example. And I know you've done this before. Say you go to the grocery store. I don't go to the grocery store. I'm like, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know where I am. It take, I mean, if I have to get like, yeah, I have to go in for milk, you know, and I have to go to the grocery store, it'll take me two hours. Because I have no, I'm looking at, looking up at the thing. You say, okay, this is this aisle, this aisle. Where, where do I go? I have, I'm, I'm, I'm not good in a grocery store. Because my wife does all that, you know. <laughs> She's a pro. <laughs> but me, when I have to go to the grocery store, I'm gone for like three hours. Because I, I have to look for everything. But for the most part, I know one side has, you know, if you walk in, usually the left side or the right side has the produce. So you go to the produce, say you walk into the grocery store and you need, you want an apple. Okay. So you are an orange. I like oranges. So you walk into the grocery store and you go to the oranges. They got the big pile of oranges. You're not going to choose the nasty ones. I mean, you're going to look at the oranges and you know, they're not going to, if you go to a good grocery store, they're not going to sell the nasty ones. You know, the moldy ones, then those aren't gonna be on the shelves or on the in the in the pile. You're gonna have oranges there, but you're not gonna choose the nasty ones, the ones that have, you know, little dings, little whatever. You're not gonna find those, or you're not gonna get those. Because you're gonna choose the okay, this looks good. I like the color of this, it's got a nice firmness, not too firm, it's a little soft. Okay, I'm gonna get this one. You do the same with cantaloupe, you do the same with apples, you do the same with bananas, you do the same with grapes. And in that pile, you have grapes upon grapes upon grapes. And you have all these different grapes to buy, but you choose the best one. All these different bananas to buy, but you choose the best little bundle, the best little bunch. That's what is written here. This sucrino is to judge or to make a determination through a combination or collation. Or I'll give you another example. Say you're entering a bookstore and you want to get uh, books on spirituality, so-called spirituality, and you go into the spirituality section. All those things, doctrinally speaking, they're all garbage. All of it, 100% garbage. Because you're going to see all this new age. You go to the, they call it spirituality. 
And you're going to see all this new age stuff, new age this, Baha'i this, you know, uh, Buddha this, all these different things. It's all garbage. Even if you go to the religion section, some of that is garbage too. Depending on who the author is. You have to exercise judgment. You have to exercise sukrino, which is to judge through a combination or collation. And you make this judgment that the Holy, Holy Spirit teaches and that the Holy Spirit freely gives. You do this with churches. You do this with Christians. You do this with pastors. But you have to be a Berean if you want to be safe. I'll give you another example. Say you have a whole bunch of Christian friends and they're like oranges in my grocery store analogy. You have a whole bunch of Christians and you know, they speak Christianese. You go to church with them and you know, everything's fine and dandy. You think, but then it's ladies night at the club and you have some of them call you, Hey, it's ladies night at the club. You know, let's go over here. Whoa. Well, you have to exercise sukrino because you know that the immediately, you know, by this act, this request of the carnal nature, you know, immediately these gals, they're carnal and you're a female. It's like, okay, that's ladies night. And I used to do that. That was the old nature. I've reckoned the old woman dead. And you know what? You guys are crazy. I'm not going to go with you. Or you go to the grocery store, you know, and you have like, uh, 10 nasty oranges, which are saying, buy me, buy me, buy me. And you're saying, no way, you guys are nasty. I'm not going to buy you because I'm exercising sukrino. Making a judgment, a determination. You see? They're exposing their carnality. And therefore, in the exposure of their carnality, you know how to navigate that situation. No, no, thanks. I'm not going to ladies night or I'll give you an example. You're a guy friend calls you up. Christians, you know, Christians, Christian calls you up. Hey, you know what? I got the finest, the finest marijuana from Chiapas, Mexico. It's the best. It's the best. It's Chiapas, Mexico. They have the finest marijuana. Oh, come on. Let's go. Let's hang out. Let's smoke it instantly, instantly. Because of the revealing of their carnal nature, you know who you're dealing with. A baby. A baby. And you tell that person, no, put down the crack, put down the marijuana. Let's come hang out. Let's have a Bible study. You know, let's study the Bible. Let's pray together. You know, you become a fisher in the church. The same thing applies to the ladies' night example, too. You're a female fisherman, fisherwoman, you know. Be politically correct, you know, I don't want to be overly offensive. So, you know, I'll play that game a little bit. Fisherwoman. You see, you, you, you have this, the Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit freely gives this to exercise your sukrino. You make this determination. Okay. This is holy. This is unholy. And among the holy. Okay. This is baby. And this is adult. This is baby. And this is mature. This is baby and this is complete. And then you have a choice to make. And you respond accordingly in a manner that glorifies the Lord. I mean, that's your, that's your choice. I, I urge you to. 
And we're in the same boat. I have to do it too. You have to do it. I have to do it. I mean, if I teach and don't do, then I become a hypocrite. That's not good either. So we're in the same boat. You have to make this determination. And especially, you do it with your friends. You do it with churches. But you do it especially with pastors. With teachers. You have to do the sukrino, which is to judge through a combination because you have all kinds. I'm fully aware. You can listen to this guy. You can listen to this guy. You can listen to whatever. We live in the information age. Everything's at your fingertips. You can listen to whoever you want to listen to. Scripturally speaking, doctrinally, you know, to, to, to hear uh, a sermon. And I say sermon. But because you're a Berean, if you are a Berean and you have to measure with the word of God, you have to check with the word of God to see if what is being taught is biblically accurate. And where you find inaccuracies, find a new teacher. Where you find accuracies. Pray for those individuals because Satan wants to kill them and put an end to their ministries. You see? And move on to perfection. Grow and mature. If you're a baby in Christ, a baby in Christ, that's not a bad thing. If you're like a new believer, that's not a bad thing. It's beautiful. If you're a baby Christian and you've been a Christian for 10 years, that's a bad thing. That's not good. You need to move on to perfection. Carnal pastors, carnal elders, carnal teachers, hypocrite teachers, hypocrite pastors are unable to get you to maturity. They are unable to teach you the wisdom of the word of God because they are compromised. Oh, how dare you say that? How dare you say that? I love this guy I listen to. I love this guy I watch. You t- are we talking about the same guy? The same guy who teaches uh, an abomination that to, 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 to go grave soaking? We're talking about the same guy? Oh, that's so offensive. I hate you. Look, it, it's for you. It's not to get on a high horse. It's not to get on a high horse. It's, it's for your soul. I don't, like, I don't even know you. You know, the majority of listeners, I have no idea who you are. I have no idea where you are. I have no idea anything. But you're listening. I don't say like I don't. Even, I say tricking believers nightly TV. I don't even know if you have that where you're at. I don't know if it's even on your TV. Oh, how dare you! How dare you! How dare you! What? What do I have to gain in saying this? I don't want to hurt your feelings. But I tell you this for your soul, because the days are getting dark, and you know it. You can see it. We don't have to prepare anymore. We don't have to prepare for, oh, you know, in the last days, this is going to happen. In the last days, this is going to happen. I mean, we do to a certain degree. But we're in it. We're, we're, we see it. We see judgment coming upon the, the world. And what does prophecy teach us? That judgment comes first in the house of God. The Lord is cleaning house. The Lord is cleaning house. Amongst Christians. You see, 
verse 14. But the natural man, the natural man, the carnal man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. That's like Simon. You know, Acts chapter 8, Simon, he was carnal. He had wickedness. His heart wasn't right before the Lord. And such a person, such a natural man or a carnal man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness. They are silliness and absurdities to him, is how it translates. Have you ever talked to people? Oh, that is absurd. You're a Christian, you believe that? That is absurd. That's outside the church, but even inside the church. Have you ever spoken deep spiritual things and they tell you, oh, that's absurd? Nonsense. That's That's absurd. What? The Bible says, look, we're looking at the same verse. We're looking at the same passage. We're looking at the same, you know, uh, uh, text, context, and co-text. We're looking at the same. Oh, that's absurd. What is revealed when that happens is carnality. And you're looking at the natural man, the natural woman, and you know what's also exposed? Such a soul who has not, who has not, who has failed to reckon the old man dead and reckon the old woman dead. That's not good. There is danger with such individuals. And I don't say that like, you know, uh, to cause division in the church, but division in the church. Remember, Jesus Christ says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to divide. That's what he says. I'm just a messenger. He said that. You see? You say, what do you mean, Jesus Christ? I thought Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. But first in your heart, let me read from Luke 12, verse 51. Do not suppose, which is to, uh, it's based on opinion or to assume. Do not suppose that I came to give peace on earth. Well, remember, this is the Prince of Peace saying this. I tell you, not at all. But rather division. You see, this disunion is how it translates. This, this disunion, this conflict, this discord, this strife. That's how it translates. No peace, but rather division. The Lord is saying that. Why? Because understand the wheat and the tares have to grow together until the harvest. In verse 52, he says... For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You see, we're living in the days of division. The days of division. So, it's not my goal to, like, you know divide like you know hey i want to it's not for the sake of dividing but it's for the sake of honoring the lord and understanding that it's the lord who divides and you have to make these distinctions you you have to make these distinctions by what you see in the fruit of people's lives by what you see by the speech in which they speak you identify babiness you identify adulthood in Christ. You identify maturity. You identify completeness. You completeness. You identify the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of the flesh. All these things are identified, 
And when they're identified in accordance with the Bible, as you make a choice to apply the word of God in your life, not being a hearer only, but being a doer and applying these things in your life and in your walk with him as you abide in Christ and he in you, the Holy Spirit as the manifestation of the spirit and of power in your life. The Holy Spirit teaches and he freely gives this discernment. But you know what happens with false doctrine? Oh, let's just love. Let's just love. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this guy's a, a crackhead. But let's just love him. He's got the crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Let's just love him and go do crack with him. Let's just love this guy and go to the strip club with him. Let's just love this lady and let's go to the ladies night with her. Let's just love. You see? It's very dangerous to not be a Berean. Very dangerous. Remember? Yes, we're called to love. It's the greatest gift. But not at the sacrifice of wisdom. You have to apply wisdom in your life. Love God first. Love God first and fear him. Then you love people, but you don't fear them. You love people. It's the spirit of Antichrist, which says, let's just love this brother and let's just go to the strip club with him. Let's just love this stripper and let's go get drunk with her tonight. Oh, let's just love. You see? But love with wisdom says, no, love God first. Apply wisdom. And when the lady says, let's go to the ladies night, when the guy says, let's go to the strip club, you say, mm-mm. Why? Because you're exercising sukrino. Making a judgment, an assessment, a determination through combination or collation. Which is like those oranges. Don't be the nasty orange. Be the beautiful orange, the good orange, the succulent orange, which is the fruit of the spirit. You see? Verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to, to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Very interesting. This word for discernment is another, another derivative of crino, just like sucrino, what we looked at in, in uh, uh, verse 13. But now we have anacrino, which is to scrutinize, to investigate, you see, to interrogate, to determine, and to examine. Anacrino. Very interesting how the Holy Spirit investigates and how Christians investigate too. Same spirit. You see, no division with the spirit of the Lord, but there is division with the carnal. There is division with the natural man. There is division uh, with those who have no spiritual discernment. Why? Because thus fulfills what our Lord says himself, that the wheat and the tares have to grow together until the harvest. In closing, verse 15, but he who is spiritual, non-carnal is how it translates. He who is non-carnal judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. That's the beauty of having a clear conscience before the Lord. Remember, 
Woman, where are your accusers? All these accusers, all these accusers. Oh, she was caught in adultery. She was caught in adultery. Look, let's stone her. Let's stone her. When everybody left, the Lord lifts her up, picks her up. Woman, where are your accusers? She knew she was guilty. She was caught in the act. She knew she was guilty. And you have the religious leaders saying, stone her, stone her, stone, having stones in their hands. We're going to stone her. She knew she was guilty. I mean, she could like plead her case like, oh, what about the guy? What about this? What about this? Okay, forget that. She was guilty. Except in Christ. In Christ, the Lord scoops her up. Woman, where are your accusers? Where are they? They walked away. They dropped their stones. No more, no more law for her. You know why? Because she's in Christ. And that's the beauty of having a clear conscience before the Lord. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in you know, subsequent chapters. A clear conscience before the Lord. People can hate you. Like we start studied last week, you know, like what Paul says to young Pastor Timothy, you know, do, do this publicly in the church so the church can learn the fear of the Lord. But if you do, if you're a pastor and you do that, as is written in the Word of God, people will hate you. Straight up, they'll hate you. But it must be done even still. Why? Because the love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord work together. I mean, of course, warning. I'm in the warning one, warning two, warning three, four, five, and then boom, hey, this can happen. Remember, a little leaven leavens the bunch, and we're going to see what happens when a church is full of bad oranges. In my example, you know, the bad oranges. What happens? How a little leaven leavens the bunch. The mold grows. It spreads. Then you see the spiritual warfare aspect of how Satan that serpent of old, Beelzebub, who was a murderer from the beginning. How he desires babies. He desires arrested development. Why? Because he can mess up homes. He can mess up marriages. He can mess up kids. He can mess up everything. You ever talk to people about the Lord? And then non-believers, they say, no way. I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ because of, and then they fill in the blank. Because of when I was a kid, this happened, you know, and when I was in youth group. Or because when, you know, when this happened or, you know, because of the hypocrites at the pulpits, because of this, I see this. And you know what? I don't blame them. I don't blame them. It hurts me to say that. It pains me to say that. But we don't follow man. We follow Christ. If you're not, uh, if you are a non-believer... And you have been scarred. You have been victimized by a Christian. So-called Christian. That's not the way. I want you to know that. I want you to understand that. We follow Jesus Christ. And God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. I'm not going to deny the what happened. I've talked to people, adults, big, humongous, muscular adults. 
and they open up about their molestation in the church. And it's like they're little babies again. You talk to somebody like uh, about the Lord. They want nothing to do with the Lord because their experience in the church was pain, was molestation, a lot of sex. You see, where are the pastors? You see, where are the elders? And those are like bulwarks, pastor and elder. They're like bulwarks. And today, in these last days, where are the pastors? Where there few? Where are the elders? Where there few? Where are the Chloe's? You see? If you've been victimized in the church by a Christian, by a pastor, by whatever, and you say, oh, I've been victimized. Oh, what, what happened? Oh, this pastor told me that I need to repent. Well, did you repent? No. Oh, that's not victimization. That's foolishness. But if you're a victim, molestation, there's a, a, a lot of sexual perversions in the church, in the pulpits, a lot of sexual perversion. It's another sign of the last days. People are letting go of Jesus Christ. And in letting go of Jesus Christ, what are they, you know, it's like the world, the carnal nature. And don't forget the Holy Spirit will be lifted. He who now restrains will be lifted. What is that world going to look like? I mean, it's, you look at it now. What is the world going to look like when the Holy Spirit is lifted? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. A period of silence. You see, just like, you know, you read the, the, the gap between Malachi and Matthew. There was the 400 years of silence. There's going to be a period of silence. I wonder if it's going to be like in 1 Samuel where there's no widespread revelation from the Lord. Except... There are going to be few people with lamps and with plenty of oil. You see? In closing, verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he, that he may instruct him? You see? It's God who teaches us. It's not the other way around. That's blasphemous. That's idolatry. You've created another God if that's you. And I've talked to the Brainiacs before, the PhDs in theology, seminary students, cemetery students. No, it's God who teaches us. It's God who teaches you. It's God who teaches me. It's the Lord who teaches through his word and the word became flesh. You must have a steady diet of the word of God in your life. You must. You must. In verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. It's not just knowledge. It's not just knowledge. That's the beauty of intimacy. You abide in him and he abides in you. Intimacy, oneness with him. So you see, Paul, what he's establishing here to the church, that yes, they are babies. Yes, they're believers. I mean, we, 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 we looked at in chapter 1, they're sainthood. Yes, they're believers. But they're babies. It's dangerous to be a baby Christian. 
I mean, you look I, I look at the nature shows, you know, where the lions, the hyenas, the wolves, whatever. There's a brand new deer, a brand new fresh born deer, a brand new fresh born gazelle. That's a very dangerous time in the life of that little animal because they're brand new babies. They don't know how to run yet. They might be able to run, but it's not fast like an adult. So what happens? The lions come and devour the little babies because they're babies. What does the Bible teach us? That the lion, the, the, the enemy roams like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. Who does he devour? The babies. The babies. You see? The youngsters. Why? They're not mature. They haven't learned to use their muscles yet. Their spirit, metaphysically speaking. There's no maturity. It's dangerous. That's when Paul says... Commit a brother to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Do you know how hardcore that is to say that? How painful it must be. How painful it is for a pastor to say, commit a brother to Satan. Whoa. That happened in the church in Corinth. Think about the level of carnality in the church for Paul, who loves the saints, who will die for the saints. says take this brother and commit him to satan for the destruction of the flesh how bad must the sin be for a pastor to say that for an overseer to say that you see so yes they're young believers but these young believers need to grow in maturity they need to repent they need to deny this milk drinking and move on to perfection so be of good cheer because in these last days, yes, there's a lot of baby Christians. Yes, there's going to be a great falling away. And not to say like, oh, the poor Mimis, the poor Mimis, how sad this is. Yes, it's sad. But what are we to do about it? What are we to do about it? Remember, you who, not, you who are non-carnal, restore. Let's look. Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. This is a meat eater and a milk drinker. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass. That's a milk drinker. You who are spiritual or you who are non-carnal, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So yes, we're living in the age of milk drinkers, but you who are non-spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You see? Praise be to the Lord. Praise, praise be to His name because He's teaching us and He's training us. The fight is today, but the fight is going to grow and intensify tomorrow. The people of the way were ready fully engaged to fight the good fight and let it start right here right now god bless you guys love you guys and we'll pick up next week in continuation of our study love you guys